Reading Mission, a live book club podcast where we read some of our favourite books about mission, justice and social change together. My name's Emily and with me is Mitch. Hello. Let's respectfully acknowledge that we are on Aboriginal land and acknowledge the traditional owners of lands and waters of Australia. Pay respects to elders past and present. We recognise their continuing connections to land, water and culture. So Emily, what are we reading tonight? Tonight, we are reading the second chapter of Gondwana Theology, uh, Towards the Theology of First People's Spirituality. So tonight, we're going to explore what a journey towards a theology of First People's Spirituality might look like. In this chapter, Gary discusses the Eurocentric nature of theology as a concept and then the ramifications that can have on First Peoples. Oh yeah, dreaming as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders scripture. And finally, a suggestion as to how we can corporately engage Christianity and first people spirituality in worship of Jesus. I really love this chapter because it spoke to a lot of things I've been personally thinking about, um, along with challenging me in how I have learned to think about faith and spirituality and how that may be limiting in what experiencing God can actually be. Mm. Big mm. things. So, big things. Just, just uh, you know, lovely little... Little ideas and concepts. It is to get quite your brain a uh, over. yeah. It's quite a full-on, heavy, theologically dense and rich chapter. Hey, and it's yeah, uh, a really good really... one to to dive into and really tease over. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it was interesting as I as we were sort of prepping for this. I was like, I've got lots of thoughts, but nothing like solid in my brain yeah. about how to necessarily articulate everything I'm thinking. Oh, so don't worry, it's all Emily. I've never around. had a solid thought in my brain in my life, and I've done all right. So. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, you've made it this far. All right. So before we get into that, though, I think it's uh, about right that we share a bright spot. Yeah. So, Mitch, what has your bright spot been in the last? I think it's been three weeks. It actually. has been three weeks. Apologies for last yeah. week. But uh, that has meant that my bright spot has just never been easier to select and never easier to talk about. It's Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Oh, I haven't sure. seen it yet. You, well, Emily, now no, I can't I talk saw the about first it with one. you. <laughs> no, you can. And I won't be. You I won't be. Know, you need to go Dem- in as blind and as cold as humanly oh, possible. It's so okay. good. It's well, so how about good. I take my earphones out and then and you I'll can just, just talk at I'll, me and I'll just I'll give you a I'll clap to I'll signal you in 20 then- minutes when I'm done talking about yeah. how amazing <laughs> spy- Across the Spider-Verse yeah. is. No, it's, it's phenomenal. Like the, the first movie in the series is one of my mm. favourite films of all so time. Fun. Yeah. Um, and this one just it blew me away i've i've seen it twice since it came out because i knew i needed to get there and see it as soon as i could after it released and i'm so glad i did because my tiktok feed has just been nothing but blatant spoilers with no effort to hide like it's been shocking so i'm really (laughs) glad i saw it early (laughs) um but it's it's just surprisingly that has not been my tiktok feed oh really oh are we on different parts of tiktok are we (laughs) Different sides of TikTok. You're not on the uh, Miguel O'Hara thirst trap TikTok. <laughs> oh wow, definitely not. I don't even know what that. Sp- Spider Man 2099, uh, played by Oscar Isaac, the the ridiculously buff blue Spider Man, uh, who's one of the main right. characters, who is just a fantastic <laughs> character. Um, yeah, it's oh, a great film. Look, let's be honest. 
let's be honest, after the last Spider-Man film, which obviously different like studios and all of yeah, that, but like yeah. the one that had Andrew Garfield and um 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 Oh my gosh. And Toby Maguire. And Toby Maguire. Yes. It's sort of like I feel like that would blow open now Sony be able to go, hey, let's just do something stupid and fun anyway, because they've done it. We can just like let's up them. Just you wait. Because they did it in the first one as well. Just you wait, Emily. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> just you wait. All right. I guess I need to go and see this at the movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you do. I highly, highly recommend it. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I'll make it happen. So what's your bright spot, Emily? Um, well, last weekend I was up the coast and got to spend some time with family. So that was really nice. nice. And um, got to hang out with them and play with the dogs at the beach and nice. go swimming at the beach and <laughs> see whales. And, yeah, yes, you showed me a video so of really the nice. whales. That's awesome. Yeah, they were going off. It was yeah. great. Um, so, yeah, it was it was just really nice. That's very really cool. Chill. Those of us who didn't yeah. grow up on the coast uh, are not used to seeing whales. <laughs> you you took yeah. it very much in stride when you were telling me about it earlier in the week. Oh, did I? Was it, did I not? It was cool, though, because where I was, I was like, oh, you don't normally see whales here. So I was yeah. like, oh, I didn't have to even put effort in to go see them, which was the cool bit. But it was not like, I was like, I see whale, I've seen whales every year of my life just yeah. about. So, yeah. I think I was talking about it today with some people and they're like, what? That's so cool. I was like, oh, yeah, it's just whale. It's whale season, though. It's the migrating season. So, like, you expect to see them. I was like, oh, sweet, I'm going up in whale season. I'll be able to see the whales. <laughs> it's amazing it's the cool. different frame of references. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is fantastic. <laughs> whales are <Yes>. so cool. <laughs> they are. It always – so, like, in Brisbane, because I – like, we used to go up when we were kids yeah. to the museum, and there's this bit where you walk in after you come out of the car park, and on the roof there's a huge – like I think life-size um, humpback whale and its baby. Right. And it's like on the roof and it makes like the sound. So oh, through really? the speakers, it's playing the whale noises. <laughs> so like that is just a staple like memory of my childhood. Do you just like drive past that museum and immediately fall asleep? No, because like the <laughs> other the other sensory thing about that museum is when you park, it's really polished concrete. So it's the squeaky tires. It right. always reminds me of that car park. So yeah, <laughs> and you like have to walk past it because it's like on the way into the museum. Yeah. So yeah, it's just like so weird. Yeah. Anyone who knows Brisbane and South Bank and the the cultural centre, you yeah. know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yes. Well, shall we get stuck? So in? let's let's get into it. Yeah. So one thing that we realised that. Um, we didn't actually discuss mm. much of last week. Um, we just sort of got into the book, but was this idea of Gondwana theology and, I mean, this is what the book is called. So, um, and the idea what of the what word is Gondwana. Gondwana. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm not going to lie. So I've, um, over the last couple of weeks, read most of, read ahead most of the book and it kind of took me until the third or fourth chapter uh, to realize that it's not uh, I kind of went in assuming it was a an indigenous word or a, a truly way word for God or you know or something or a place exactly right um, so it turns out it's actually a geographical uh, or a geological 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 word yeah. isn't it um, for yep. the the rocks and stuff yeah rocks and stuff um, <laughs> for the ancient supercontinent uh, that the continent of, continent of Australia was a part of um, 
Which, yeah, when I when I kind of realised that, so um, Gary alludes to that in a later chapter, uh, and then with a little bit of cursory Wikipedia Wikipedia ing, I am now an expert on the ancient supercontinent of Gondwana, uh, which comprised. Let me check my notes. Oh, <laughs> come on! According to Wikipedia, the remnants of Gondwana make up about two thirds of today's continental area, including South America, Africa, Antarctica, Australia, Zealandia, Arabia, and the Indian subcontinent. Um, yeah. So that's just a that's the context of where Gondwana theology comes from. I think it was really interesting to to realize that. Um, the, the project that Gary is embarking on in this book is very similar to our previous book, uh, Credible Witness, mm. with um, Darren Cronshaw. They're both attempting to evoke that we are, we, are, we are searching for a, a spirituality and a theology and an experience of God that is uniquely Australian, that is tied mm. to and informed by place. Um, and I think possibly the the difference uh or, or i think what gary is trying to evoke by drawing the word gondwana uh rather than just saying you know australia theology or something like that is it's it's anchored in place but over time over just a vast vast amounts of time um credible witness was a was a fantastic book that i really really loved the majority of it was focused on the last, you know, 200 odd years, as opposed to you know, by, by using the word Gondwana, by evoking the idea of Gondwana, Gary is taking us on a journey that goes back thousands of years, which is very appropriate when we're talking about First Nations uh, spirituality and theology and the, the things that we can learn um, from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who have been here you know, 60 to 80 to potentially more hundreds of thousands of years. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, mm. it's quite, it's good. It's a good title. And I didn't realize it until uh, just recently. <laughs> yeah. It was funny. Cause it's like, I was like Gondwana. Oh, like, it's funny. Cause I know that thing. Cause I, after you mentioned it, I was like, Oh duh. Like I remember yeah. In the backs of my brain somewhere doing that in bio and talking about, you know, the supercontinents and yeah. like Pangaea and which I think is before when everything was together and then it split into like Gondwana and like the northern one, which I can't remember, and then splits again. And yeah. I was like, Oh, that's right. But before that I was like, Oh, is, is it just like an indigenous name for yeah. like all of Australia? But then I was like, wait, that doesn't even work because like it, countries in Australia was not a country yeah. of states or federated yeah. states. It yeah. was like a continent of nations in and of yeah. itself. Yeah. I'm actually so I'm like, now really curious which and if uh, Aboriginal languages have a name for the continent as a continent as opposed to just mm. land. Now I'm really curious uh, because, yeah, because yeah. you're, you're right, we – we today think of Australia as one thing, but the experience mm. for uh, tens of thousands of years, most of history, most of history, um, was that it was it was a a you know there were lots of nations and countries and tribes, but like occupying it's the land. one of those things yeah. as well. Is this just inherently a very like colonial? Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
so, to yeah, think yeah. about that so, let me just, at all. Like, yeah, yeah. In the yeah. context of like this whole place being a thing mm. rather than it's actually a lot of nations in a place, but mm. needing to know all of the places in the place doesn't necessarily need to be a thing. Mm. I don't even know where I'm going with that, really. <laughs> but it's almost like this thing of because we've we have this very much like come from this colonial space of like mm. post enlightenment and like learning and explore exploration and you know all of this stuff. We therefore need to know all of it. But it's like, is there a need to know all of that for there to be value on the place? And I think the answer oh, is probably like not. no. Yeah, it, not probably the answer is no. But then. Yeah, it doesn't fit do nicely you know? into our brains. No, it doesn't. Yeah. No, no, no. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's exactly it. <laughs> no, that's good. So, yeah. Into our framework. Into our framework, How the yeah. fuck world functions. Yeah, yes. that's right. That's right. So, yeah. So, that's where the, that's well, where the title Gondwana Theology comes from. So, that's our... As the last chapter, this um, chapter is split up into a few sections. So, the first being the gospel and colonisation... The second being the dreaming as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander scripture. And finally, um, towards a First Peoples approach of the language of worship. So we'll sort of be framing our conversations around those ideas with mm. sections of the book um, that I'll be reading as we always do, but just to sort of give you a bit of an idea of where we're heading when we're in the middle of our ramblings, um, <laughs> that, that, is, that is the direction to which we are. I don't know, taking this conversation or letting it lead us, I think is probably more what it is. Yeah, I, don't I think, think that's quite right. Um, yeah. We have a, a clear direction in mind, but letting, letting the words and the story and the spirit lead however it will. That's right. Um, so I'm going to pick up um, on page 21 in the third paragraph down. Quote, the movement of Christ's gospel into Indigenous communities of this country was and is far from straightforwardly positive. However, there is a saying in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities, when the white man came, he made an exchange, the Bible for the land and the sea. Actually, it was far worse than that in most places. It was the Bible in exchange for our languages, law, and kin as well. And that quote, I'm going to pick up now at the bottom of this page in the last paragraph. Doing theology under the crushing weight of this legacy, whether by apparently European or apparently First Nations people, is therefore far from easy. For there are hazards in every direction. The most common form of theology in this country continues to exercise the continues to exercise a strategic forgetting about the genocidal sin at the foundation of the nation. The theolo- a theology that fails to engage and reckon with the worst that human beings can do to one another is no theology at all. For theology is, in its deepest marrow, a search for the truth about God and the universe and ourselves. And if it is not about the truth, it is more properly belongs to the genres of romance or fantasy. Much Australian theology, therefore, in my assessment, my being Gary's assessment, affects a fantasia built upon lies of obfuscations and sequestering away the truth. Such theology is no help whatsoever in realising the reign of God on earth. 
If anything, it colludes in the colonial project and therefore a foundation contributor to the Australian sin of forgetting. Uh, and now I'm going to pick up on page 23 in the uh, second paragraph. I'm going to pick up now on page 24. <laughs> a theology that seeks to engage both the grace of God made known in Jesus and the spirituality of first peoples must therefore actually listen to our experience and, and take it seriously as data for theological reflection. Theology must treat our agency, our subjectivity, as children of God with whom the Spirit has been walking and talking for a millennia, as importantly as it treats the agency of the people of God recorded in the Hebrew and Christian scriptures. It must, in other words, regard our experience with God, especially as that experience is embodied in our relationship with the dreaming, the legitimate source of revelation. Quote. Um, so that's a lot of little sections that kind of make sense, but doesn't really. So let's, um, <laughs> I guess, start, <laughs> start to discuss this concept of the gospel and colonization. Because I guess the idea of this section is that theology is inherently Eurocentric. So Eurocentric being um, Europe at the center of the understanding of God, um, which I think we is fair to say that is probably most of our experience with understanding God um, in both our contexts has been from very much a European context. So um, the influence of England and Germany and, De um, and yeah, like Denmark and different places. So yep. we think of different theologies like um, Spain, some of the father, Spain and yep. Italy. Yep. So like Rome, yep. um, all those ones, so all of those, I guess, church fathers of the of history, um, sort of all come from that area of the world. So therefore, a lot of our modern understanding post Reformation comes from that. Mm. Um, and not only our theology, but our methodology of doing theology and our mm. our understanding of what theology is, not just what the theology we believe is, um, all, all of these things are rooted in European, you know, uh, yeah, European practices and modes of thinking and, um, and none of that's bad. Like that's, it's, no. it's not, it's not that European ways of thinking are bad. It's that it, we acknowledge that what has happened is those have been, exported from one place and imported into another place that was not devoid of theology and ways of thinking about God and spirituality beforehand. Mm. Uh, and in some places, many places has sought to the, the, the modes of thinking and being that have been exported from Europe and imported into other places have sought to overwrite what has already been there. Um, so, Whenever we're engaging with theology, mm. as you and I are doing right in this moment, Emily, we are drawing on that legacy. Um, and it's not that there's no good things to be taken from there, uh, but we need to acknowledge that we stand in a particular place on the, the shoulders of a particular legacy. Uh, it gives us a particular mm. viewpoint. Uh, which is not the only yeah. viewpoint. Mm. 
Yes, and not to scrutinise our viewpoint with rose-coloured glasses saying Mm. this is the right way, this is the only way, this is that kind of thing because that's really important that we do meaningfully engage with other ways too because, you know, our God is bigger. Mm. Well, if if you believe what Scripture says, our God is bigger than any one way of thinking or one Mm. theology or one mode of understanding God. So, therefore, how do we find... God or experience God through other ways of or be willing to experience God through other ways of mm. understanding God. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think one of the really helpful and really challenging and hard things in this in this chapter is um mm. I think Gary's challenge that you know in to, to reiterate our quest is to find an authentically Gondwan and an authentically Australian uh, spirituality and theology, understanding of God uh, and a, a faith that is deeply rooted in place and history. We have to be ready to look at um, the, the impacts of colonisation and the impacts of mm. uh, the, the things that happened to the people who were here before colonisation mm. Um, and the legacies of dispossession and dislocation and um, cultural erasure and violence and stolen generations, Mm. stolen wages, uh, deaths in custody, all of this, in order to develop. uh, there, There is no authentically Australian theology that, has if it doesn't have some form of or something to say to all of these things, you know, if if it's mm. if it is silent on these topics or silent in the face of these this history and these injustices, it is no authentic, authentically Australian theology. Mm. And mm. that's so much of what Gary, well, obviously talking about in this section because mm. it's talking about then that okay, so we want this God of grace and love. But how can we have that if we are not willing to actually engage in mm. what that grace looks like to mm. not only people who look like us but mm. our First Nations communities too and our First Nations people because we need to be gracious mm. to bring reconciliation. That is the work of God. Like the whole point of Jesus is to bring reconciliation, mm. right? Yes. And to be a part yes. of that and to be – Jesus followers is to be to to be like Jesus as much as mm. we can in bringing yeah. reconciliation and bringing justice in, yeah. in in as much of our in our humanness as well like in that mm. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yes, yes. Um and all of that is stuff that we will talk about very interestingly in the next chapter. <laughs> I'm sure it is. I'm good. sure it absolutely is. It's very is. good and very challenging. Um, uh, it's very good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think the thing Mm. that challenged me most in that section is just like, okay, so what does it mean as someone from an Anglo background Mm. and heritage to decolonize my Mm. faith as well? Because it sort of invokes that as well and brings Mm. in that idea I think as well. And what does it – 
Like, what does that even mean? I don't even really have answers um, to that. No. Um, more questions than answers. But mm-hmm. what does it mean to, yeah, do that work of, I guess, listening and hearing and being a part of without without it without wanting to be tokenistic or mm. um I don't know virtue signally mm. engaging mm. in sp- like first nations spiritual spaces mm. or where even is my place in that I don't even know um but like mm. yeah where where it's almost this thing of like where do I go to find that to be able to explore, mm. um, to engage with um, mm. meaningfully, mm. Um, mm. to have conversations and learn, mm. and listen. Yeah, I, as all all really great questions. Um, yeah, I think yeah. one of the first places is actually spaces like this one that we're in tonight, yeah. Emily, um, where I, I think a. I think I tried to talk about this last time we recorded and I don't think I did a particularly good job. Um, but I'll I'll paraphrase our, our good friend Nick White, who's part of the team at Indigenous <laughs> Ministries Australia, um, part of our GMP family. Um, he he talks about, you know, in the in the the broad process of of reconciliation and the the journey towards justice. Um there, there needs to be spaces for white people to get get together, ask all the stupid questions, make all the stupid comments, um, work on our stuff together, uh, get our get ourselves not fully in order because we it will be impossible for us to get fully in order by ourselves. Um, but you know, spaces where we can acknowledge that we don't know what we're doing and we can sort of ask each other for help and advice. We're, we're on a journey as well. Um, and it's good for us, us being, uh, well, I'm saying white people, but I'm actually more broadly meaning second, second peoples, um, anyone who's not first nations, um, to, to work on some of this stuff together because it's not fair of us to expect First Nations people to be, you know, our uh, on-call therapists to help mm, us work oh, through no. some of this stuff. But, yeah, I think spaces like this are really uh, a part of the process, mm. um, as is, I think, just getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Ugh, such a cliche. Mm. But getting comfortable with acknowledging um, the the history and not being being able to look at it without going, oh, but you know, mm. um, so many of the people involved in those processes had really good intentions and they were trying to do the best they could with what they understood. It's true. It's kind of irrelevant uh, a, a lot yeah. of the time. Um, and when we, when our knee-jerk reaction is to to justify or to minimise or to, um, you know, just try and find a way of being slightly, making ourselves feel slightly less uncomfortable with the the realities of what has happened in this country, this is the kind of stuff that Gary's talking about in this chapter, where um, you know we we need we need a theology that can reckon honestly with those kinds of things. Mm. 
and be um, robust enough to do that. Yeah, yeah, because God is robust enough to do that. Um, yes, to, to absolutely. Feel myself slipping into preaching mode, <laughs> but like, yeah, but God, but God is big enough to take it. Uh, so we can rely on God to be big for us and yes. with us. Yeah, sorry, Emily. And no, that's all right. I was just going to say before you get into preaching mode, I was going to get in there so you don't get into preaching mode. No, uh, but what I do actually really love about this chapter is mm. Gary is honest enough with those things mm. and he doesn't. I don't feel like he's trying to get in the way of the perfect undermining the good either. Mm. Yep. So it's sort of like, okay, here's a step that we can take together. Mm. Give us this chance to do this, mm. um, us being First Nations people, and that that will dive more into that later. But yeah. just almost more of a framework of going, hey, it actually isn't First Nations peoples, us as not me, but Gary, like yeah. engaging yeah. with our spirituality mm. isn't actually. Um, it's not like a counterintuitive. It's not. It's not against. Yeah. The yep. God of the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus or the thing that was brought here yep. it actually is harmonious and does actually work mm. together and mm. is is how we have engaged with mm. the Creator with mm. God prior mm. to you guys rocking up mm. with your book. Kind mm. of thing, mm. not mm. quite, not yeah. quite as like rudely, but that's kind of, <laughs> no, Gary, that's Gary's kind of slightly more articulate about it than that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I um, think you're, I think you're on the money. I think that's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is a great segue to our next section. Yeah, absolutely. Well so, um, oh, so yeah, I'm going to pick up on page 24 now. Um, in the dreaming as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander scripture. So, quote in the first chapter, I, Gary wrote about the dreaming of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as our encounter with the divine spirit in and through the land, the sea, and all the abundance of living things that dwell therein. While Jews, Christians, and Muslims have their written scriptures, I wrote, Indigenous people regard the land itself as a religious text, for it speaks constantly of our relationship with the divine, with the non-human biosphere, and with each other as human beings. But how do we uh, how are we to understand from a European Christian point of view the role of the creator ancestors who formed our seas and our landscapes? They are idols, even demons as so many of the missionaries apparently believed. Could they not be more posi- uh, could they not more positively be compared with the angels with by whom Yahweh sends his word and his will into human experience perhaps so For my own part i should like to propose that the creator ancestors might be understood as roughly analogous to the figure of wisdom celebrated by proverbs 1 20 to 33 and by the book of wisdom as a whole she is the breath of power of god pure emanation of the power of the almighty nothing impure can find a home in her she is a reflection of the eternal light, untarnished mirror of God's active power, image of God's goodness. Although alone, she can do all. Herself unchanging, she makes all things new. In each generation, she passes onto holy so- into holy souls, 
making them friends of God and prophets, for God loves the one who lives with wisdom. She is indeed more splendid than the sun. She outshines all the constellations. Compared with light, she takes first place. For light must yield to night, but over wisdom evil can never triumph, for she deploys her strength in all the world, ordering all things for good. So that's Wisdom 7, 25 to 8, 1. Wisdom in this tradition is seen as a personal extension of God's creative light and power, a personality at once both distinguishable from God and yet sharing the very life of God with any soul who opens, who is open to influence for good. For First Peoples, the Creator ancestors are like this too, but not exactly God in the Jewish and Christian sense, the one Creator of all of that is, seen and unseen. The ancestors nevertheless share in the creative work of God. They are cha- charged with certain responsibilities in the creative process and in their human divine animal hybridity, they are ancient prototypes of the close relationship between human beings and the non-human world. They remind us of the relationship and call to us to be careful that the relationship is honoured and maintained through an ongoing responsibility to care for country and to keep the law. End quote. It's all that connection to country stuff, which I... Oh. Yes. Yeah. And it's and it's um I mean what what Gary is attempting to do in this chapter for our benefit is kind of give give us in our euro theological imagination give create space for Indigenous spirituality to exist and be mm. positive and to point towards to be to be life giving and to point towards God, um, like broadly speaking, historically Christianity in Australia has attempted to, at best, downplay um, and at worst, outright um, you know ban and eradicate. Uh, First Nations spirituality, seeing it mm. as, as Gary alludes to in that section that you've just read, demonic seeing it as, as demonic, and- you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Any any spirituality that it, or any attempt to connect with the divine that is not a way of connecting with the divine that we recognise as divine is suspect and is, uh, you know, a bad influence. Um, whereas Gary is going, no, like we've all been on the same project, everyone. We've all been attempting to build a, you know, develop an, a stronger understanding of the divine that points us towards a life giving way of living life, uh, that takes seriously our commitments to creation and to each other and to the divine. We've, we've been trying to do this as well. It looks different, but look, there's, there's overlap, like some of our understandings, mm. you know, some, some of your, some of our understandings are in line with the ways that you also think about this. We, we are on the same page. We are on the same team, even if our language and our uh, approach might look different. Um, does that kind of make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's something I don't know has, oh, for quite a while, quite a number of years is something that's like, mm stewed in my head it's like how does an experience of god or expression of god or a theology i guess mm. um yeah, exist. What a theology is yeah 
yeah, <laughs> mm. exist outside of these Eurocentric notions of, or it's not even Euro, like it's become Eurocentric in what the, oh, I don't know. Originally it wasn't like if we think ancient kind of early church kind of vibes, not and inherently Eurocentric. this is part Eurocentric. of this chapter that we didn't, and, we didn't dive into, but yes, yes. Gary touches on that as well. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, Inherently not actually Eurocentric, but because of our where we are placed in history and our context, we have received a very Eurocentric version of mm. theology or theologies because there's plenty. Mm, that's um, right. Which, as you're saying, don't necessarily engage with other ways of experiencing theology, mm. but. I guess my whole thing in that, all to say, yeah, what what is an experience of God that is outside that framework? Yeah. Um, and how, like, because God is before, you know, Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, mm. all the things, like it says, right? So, therefore, like, you know, we take, take the Bible seriously, <laughs> um, mm. you know, if God is the beginning and the end before all things, with all things and after all things, then he 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 or it, the spirit, God, um is and was and will always be present here mm. in these lands now called Australia. Mm. And that is and the understanding of that isn't in a written text because that's not necessary. <laughs> like yes. yeah. for for First Nations people, like that's not how and even ancient history and cultures, it's oral traditions of sharing stories and understanding, like a Middle Eastern expression of like the mosaic, uh, like the like stories and literature, like you know Genesis mm. and all of that. That's not going to make sense here in this context, like mm. historically, because that's not that is not the landscape. That is not the world in which. First Nations people mm. and even Second Peoples experience mm. these lands now called Australia. It's yeah. like there are some similarities but very different in most ways. Like our landscapes are different, our vegetation, our seasons are different, all the different things that help these ancient cultures understand the world mm. while similar and lead to the same place, mm. the expression of them is not the same. Mm. And yeah. That is very cool. So then, mm. like, mm. what does that look like? Mm. What does that look like for us to engage in this spirituality that has existed here? Mm. That is, as Gary is talking about, an experience of the divine, of the wisdom, to understand these places and the connection to creator God. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. <laughs> So, the a bit of, um, I guess it's theology, around sort of how we arrive at an understanding of of who God is that might be helpful for this this conversation um, for a modern Christian. Um, so I'm not, yeah, yeah. For for a modern Christian currently, every, every single Christian's uh, understanding of who God is rests on um, three key pillars: the the Bible, 
tradition and personal relationship with Jesus. Um, these these three pillars are constantly in dialogue with each other and constantly critiquing and um, uh, and contextualizing one another. Um, Protestant Christians like to uh, think that we, you know, we just we we read we read the Bible and the Bible is true and that's and that's what and that then we it. do the, and then we do need. the thing we we read the yeah. read the words and we do the thing. That's not true. That's never been true uh, because the the Bible is interpreted through mm. and, and when it's interpreted, it's interpreted through our own personal understanding of who God, uh, who who Jesus is and our experience of having a personal relationship with Jesus. And it's, it's interpreted through our tradition. Uh, whenever you get, mm. you know, someone on stage on a Sunday morning delivering a sermon, that is a process of tradition interpreting uh, scripture. And then that goes the other way as well. Um, we use mm. the Bible to interpret uh, our tradition and we use the Bible to interpret our um, experiences. Uh, I, mm. I have felt God to I, I have felt Jesus saying to me, do this particular thing while I go to scripture. And actually, scripture is full of examples of God telling people to do the exact opposite of that thing. So maybe that feeling isn't Jesus and maybe it's just Yeah, but me. there was a one verse, Mitch. Yeah. There was one verse that right. told me. <laughs> so and a really I just healthy to flick my Bible open to that one verse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a really healthy um understanding of of who God is and a really healthy faith engages really deeply with all three of those pillars and those uh can can, can kind of be yeah, you know, those pillars can be quite broad in and of themselves. Like a, a tradition, uh, that our understanding of God resting upon tradition doesn't necessarily just need to be one tradition. It can be uh, we can we can add to that, and we can explore other um, Christian traditions, other traditions of wisdom throughout the world, and go, what do these have to say about the world, and how can we how can these contribute into the conversation? Um, even the Bible's not fixed. Um, we've had a great example in mm. this chapter of uh, drawing from the Book of Wisdom, which is part of oh, what yes. we in the Apocrypha, uh, sorry, we in the Protestant tradition would call the Apocrypha. Uh, so it's yes. books of the Bible that have and still are in some traditions included as canonical texts within the Bible, given the yes. same kind of authority as you know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Oh. Um, but for for us Protestants, we we don't consider the Book of Wisdom to be. It, we traditionally don't consider the Book of Wisdom to be authoritative in the same way. Um, so you know, all all of these these pillars are flexible and grow and shift and change and are are, are mutable. So a long on that, way of saying, I, yeah, sure. <laughs> I was gonna say on the extra books in the Bible and stuff. Mm. Not extra. Different, the extended edition of the Bible. <laughs> um, <laughs> Director's cut. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the, um, the, the, the Snyder cut. Um, <laughs> First of all, how dare. So funny because, like, my housemate's Catholic and she showed me her Bible mm. and we were talking about mm. different books and she was talking about some of her favourite ones being, like, to buy it and different ones. Yeah. And I was like, what? I don't even know this. She's like, what do you mean? I was like, yeah, that's not in my Bible. And I was like, Wookie. I was like, oh, this feels naughty. I'm like, should I read it? I'm like, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> read the extended cut. Like, ooh. But very cool, though, too, because I'm like, oh, there's so – and it's not – yeah, it's just that whole thing of, like, 
and go okay mm. so there's and not that that's bad because like i knew there was like apocrypha existed and all of that kind of stuff yeah, but yeah. just going oh okay then how do i engage with this in a way that's like meaningful too because it's mm. just as valuable and mm. yeah. yeah yeah that's right it's great questions to be asking yeah. Anyway, the reason I bring all that up is just because that 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 for me really helps helps me understand um, a bit of kind of what Gary's going for here, which mm. is that for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, um, they are they have been and still are, but, but like pre colonization, were capable of reaching a um, an understanding of who God is, even mm. without reference to the the text of the the bible as we understand it because for them um and for us today we can this is something that we can learn from our uh from first nations people the land and uh the country operated as a sacred text uh god was present through the the traditions of the dreaming and the text of the land and the the direct personal, you know, connection mediated by the Holy Spirit is in the same way that that connection is our, our personal relationship with Jesus and with God is mediated mm-hmm. today. Um, it's, yeah, it, it, it was and remains and will always be um, possible for Torres Strait, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people to have as robust a connection with the divine as the European Christians who uh, came over in the First Fleet, for example. Um, mm. And Aboriginal Christians, in my experience at least, love the Bible. You know, this mm. is not this is not a uh, we don't need the Bible throw the throw the book out or anything like that. Um, but God is not restricted to the pages of the bible and the the words printed there god was present mm. here long before oh, long before aboriginal and torres strait islander people were here um mm. and will be here along after we're all gone mm, absolutely interesting es- eschatological statement that i'm not actually 100 percent sure i fully uh agree with but that's all right <laughs> <laughs> i think you understand what i'm saying even if Alpha and Omega, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. As you said, Emily. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. Not only is this an experience of God through Scripture and how we engage with Scripture, right, but it's how do we corporately engage in a place mm. of, I guess, praise and worship. So mm. that is the last section Gary is um, bringing in, in how do we, as groups of people of faith, of Christian faith, Engage not only with the things that have been brought here with um, uh, the the euro the eurocentric models, but how does how does how do we breathe a uniquely Gondwanan experience, voice, breath into mm. these things that have existed mm. and will continue to exist, but maybe even new ways of doing that. So. Um, that is something, I mean, I think I, I probably spoke about it last chapter as well, last last book as well, but that's something to me that's really like, okay, how do we make this like uniquely here for this place, not not something that has come from somewhere else to be placed mm. here. Mm. Um, mm. 
and just drop dot and go, this is how we do it because that's not how sociology works <laughs> um, and how people in places, people, place, and cultural difference works. Um, so anyway, I'm going to pick up on page 29 um, as Gary begins to, I guess, unpack this idea a bit. What I am calling for is a kind of liturgical creole that seeks to speak the language of Europe but in a First Nations way that clearly belongs to Gondwana. Where I am coming from, theologically, is the covenantal mystery at the heart of the incarnation. For a Christian view of the cosmos is necessarily covenantal. As I have said already, God chooses to come to God's self, that is, to God's identity and future, through the vulnerability of enfleshment, a fundamental marking and transformation period, and enacted through an unconditional commitment to the humankind and to the cosmos. What the patial passage of Christ through his world then reveals is not that God and human beings, as a single in themselves identities, learn to talk with each other in a third space which might be called the ritual storytelling of liturgy, or more broadly, gospel tradition but that God is always already human and humans are always already divinely capable in their ritual speech. End quote. <laughs> that is a deeply, deeply that layered passage. so much. If I can attempt to, if I can attempt to boil please, that down. Please do. I think, I think- that what Gary is saying there is basically that we can uh, that in the story of the in the, in the story of the incarnation, what God is doing is stepping into the, the incarnation ways that, being the coming of Jesus as yes, human, fully yes. God, fully human. Yeah. Yes, is God stepping into a space that uh, we, we, you know Jesus spoke Aramaic, Jesus read and presumably wrote Hebrew. Um, Jesus spoke Greek. God didn't uh, come into human form in the the person of Jesus and then go, "All right, here's here's Latin. Um, here's the here's the divine language." What God did the used- Romans ever do for us, Mitch? <laughs> God used the languages of the of the people. Um, there's not some special other thing that helps us connect with God. It is just the the language that we already use. Um, I don't think I made that any clearer. <laughs> no, God meets us where we are. God meets us where we are. we are. There you go. Yeah, that's and the one. That's the thing. Yes, that's what <laughs> Yeah. Is essentially what that's saying. Yeah. But and so for the for the purposes of our project, yeah, for the purposes of our project of a First Nations, a theology of First Nations spirituality, and doing this together in the church, yeah, I think what does it look um, like to integrate all those voices together into something that is not segregated or separated but unified. Yes, and as I we think are called what Gary to be, is the body going, of Christ. As we are called to be, exactly. I think what yeah. Gary's going for here is something that he's not he's not imagining something that's going to look wildly different or like use mm. some kind of whole new set of concepts or ideas that are yet to be invented. Um, mm. I think he's really going for you know we just need to learn 
to speak the things that we already have in ways- And the things that we know. And the things that we know, yeah, in ways that authentically engage with um, the context of Gondwana, the context of Australia, the history, um, good and bad, um, and the the ways that God has made Godself known through- um, through the land, through history, mm. through people. Yeah. And Gary does this, like, and that's as we spoke about last week, the second half of this book is literally a mm. whole um, liturgy. Mm. Um, that is that. That is a mm. Gondwanan liturgy. And he and- talks about this here, the prayers of the people, so the prayers mm. of Thanksgiving, lament, and intercession. He actually has that in here. Um, and it was so funny because I was reading this after I was up at my parents and my parents go to an Anglican church, which is like mm. my Anglican. So they yeah. do all this stuff and it was like, oh, yeah, the um, hear us, God of compassion and um, whatever it is, like God have, uh, have oh, what was it? They say it a bit differently, but on here it's and let our cry come unto thee. So it's like get, hear us, um, yeah, God hear your people or whatever it is. I can't remember mm. exactly what it is, but. Whatever they answered, I was like, oh, yeah, I was just doing that. Um, so that just gave me a whole, like, other appreciation for it. Yeah, doing that last weekend. Um, yeah. But, yeah, very cool. So, yeah, what does that look like to be uniquely ours as a nation? Mm-hmm. As? And, I mean, I think even as we were speaking about in the last book, like, when it comes to multiculturalism and stuff, it's not so much, it's not just Anglo-European and First Nations. Second peoples is so much broader than that here too. Absolutely. And it's more complex than just going, there are two groups. Mm. And, I mean, I think that's probably really anywhere. But it's also, for sure. But yeah. as a multicultural nation, how do we engage with all of those people mm. of this place? Mm. Um, which is a huge question and yep. way, way bigger than we have time to even remote. <laughs> um, I don't know. Dig yeah. into. Oh, I, I, absolutely, absolutely. It's not something that we, I, I don't feel equipped to even oh, attempt to describe not. what that no. might look like. Oh. But I, I think the only thing I know for sure about it is that it's going to require a whole bunch of time and time spent together. Um, it's not something that's going to happen uh, because someone decides to sit down and write it out it's going to develop as gary said in that that passage um you know culture grows and changes and develops because it incorporates new people new ideas new language and that again this that's not an intentional process where someone kind of sits down or you know a group of people sit down and go this is how we're going to change culture um it's something that happens naturally over time because people are together. You know what's interesting about that too, though, because at different times I've heard it said by not First Nations people, but, oh, how, like, the traditional cultures and things, they don't even exist anymore because of people don't know where they're from and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, well, yeah, that's actually true, but this is the response to that, right? This is, you say, well, actually, to say a culture remains the same forever for 
for thousands of years mm. is just actually not what happens. We've it's seen it happen yeah. in Europe, like in yeah. England, like we yeah. all sort of learn that history or, you know, the feudal system to the like mm. monarchy to the mm. like all that. You see that happen and we've seen that happen. So for to say for First Nations people, their culture must have stayed the same for 40,000 years is actually not at all how any culture so, anywhere sociology, sociology human works. beings work beings have ever yeah. worked and to yeah. say that is minimizing and actually really mm. doesn't actually engage in conversation or anything it's just like mm. oh and it's different so therefore it must not be true or pure but it's like we can say the same thing about european culture too yeah. like that yeah. has not stayed the same yeah um yeah so no no culture no culture from a hundred years ago still exists. No. no culture from 10 minutes ago still exists because it's not 10 minutes ago where now we have, it has moved on. It has changed because that's necessarily what culture and time does. Yeah. Um, but what Gary's, what Gary talks about, and I think it was in the, the first chapter um, a bit as well, is that like necessarily, uh, First Nations cultures have integrated and and you know there as you say Emily there is no mm. pre-colonial uh, Aboriginal culture mm. because we are not because because we are post we are in the post-colonial yeah. period, um, yes. which doesn't mean that there's no links and doesn't mean no. that the stories haven't been passed on and doesn't mean that there are not strong and robust connections back to those, uh, those moments and that, that history. Mm. Um, and n- at no point does any culture need to be precisely as it was a hundred years ago to have no. value and to yes. be respected and Absolutely. to, um, yeah, and and to to shape and guide us, um, yeah, because the because same is true the way of Western the experience culture. Of, well, not even what, like Western spirituality or Christianity, mm. Western Christianity, yeah. has changed so much even yeah. in that time. Yeah. Like, I mean, we don't live in a the way people we don't express our faith in the same way people did pre Reformation as Protestants. No. No. Like, we are. We don't express our faith the same way we did 50 years ago. No, absolutely. The, yeah, or, or, uh, or 70, 70, uh, years, 70, 70 years ago I would have worn a suit to church. I yes. don't wear a suit to church. I would have had to wear a church. I would have to wear a dress every week. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's a very small thing in the scope of yes. what culture is. Yes. But you, you understand my point. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And we could keep talking about. Oh yeah, yeah. Go on, finish that. Oh, but, but although I, th- I think that I think the thing to to hold on to that gives me hope is that all that if if culture can change uh, in the ways that it has from you know the fifties to the the twenty twenties, um, it will continue to change, yes. and it can continue to change in ways that I think you and I both would like to see it change, which is to become more broad and inclusive and to involve mm. the voices of First Nations people because we yeah, it it will it will become it will 
continue to grow in that way as long as we are engaging together and listening to mm. voices like Gary's um, and, yes. you know, seeking to involve people in conversations look, around what our life together looks like. Yes, and part of that as well is the culture changes, the context changes, but God yep. doesn't change, so God mm. is still the same um, as he was 40 or 60,000 years ago, as he was 20,000 years ago, as he was 2,000 years ago. Like the character of God does not change. So therefore, even in the changing of all of that, the character and heart of God is still the same. So therefore, if we continue to seek and model our lives after God, after the character of Jesus, then we will hopefully continue to create a more just, equitable place we live. Mm. Mm. I certainly hope so. Yeah, we can dream. <laughs> so I've got some words here from the end of the chapter from Gary just to, I don't know, bring this all together, tie it all up, exactly what we're talking about. So on page 34, Gary says, quote, Here we must think not only of the written and spoken texts, but of the liturgical environment, its sense of space and time. So let's stop our exclusive use of white faces and white voices to tell the story of faith in a pew sheets and in the storybooks and with projected images. Let's fill our churches with first people's rendering uh, yeah, renderings of the biblical stories in image, sculpture, and soundscape. Let us write those stories as hybrid performance of Makarata in the altar fontals, in banners, in liturgical vestments. Let's stop arranging our churches like ancient Roman courthouses. The worshippers all facing the front where the holy things and the holy people are located. Let's place both holy things and holy elders in the midst of the holy assembly. Let's face each other across a circle and bow towards the holy script of Trinitarian life written upon our bodies and in our lives. Let's start using the incense oils and aromas of the Australian bush in our rites of confession, lament, absolution and healing. Let's carry out our baptismal waters in vessels made from reeds, rush and seashells. Let's take our baptismal rites from the dark buildings of Europe with their tiny fonts and out to the more generous waters of the river and sea. And let us compose new catechumenical rites that draw on the initiation rites of my people. If we do these things, we will render our liturgical performances more hospitable to the God who approaches and addresses us in the bodies and the faces of first people. And that can only be a good thing. End quote. Well said. Better than we were saying it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> He's had more time to think about it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, Mitch, what are you going to take away and keep? I don't know, processing and wrestling with from this chapter. Hmm. Lots of things. Naturally, um, I th I think it was this. Uh, I think it was something that I reflected on 
last time we recorded in the last episode as well. But just the the value of seeing the land as as sacred text and being alert to God's presence in every you know rock, tree, stream, mm. um, listening to what listening to the ways the land is pointing towards God and towards a better and more robust and more life-giving way of, of being in this place. Um, yeah. And I think that's going to be a lifetime of, of mm. wrestling and exploring, but yeah, I think it's continued to just sit with me and challenge me. Um, yeah. Yeah. What about for yourself, Emily? What's stood out to you from tonight? I think it's that, I mean, yeah, how how this place where we are shapes our experience of God, so not dissimilar to yours, but how mm. does that then also engage, how do we engage with that in a corporate context as well? So those mm. places of worship and um time of community and how do we, yeah, express our faith not in the ways in community, how do we express that in a way that isn't just what we've always done because that's what's been given to us but also by what's been given. But how do we then engage with meaningfully with what's been given to our first peoples as well and how do we. Yeah, build something together that is of this place, of our, of our place here, um, hmm. in these lands now Absolutely. called Australia. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. So to close us out, I've got a prayer from um, Gary's liturgy in the second part of this book. Um, so I'm not sure if I said it last episode, but this is on page 76. Blessed God, ancient spirit of Gondwana, you are the one in whom we live and move and have our being. You are the one who nurtures and feeds us with the pure nectar of our ancient faith. Come now, blessed one, gather us together in a spirit of hospitality that we may welcome your own wisdom in each other's wisdom and hear your own voice in each other's voices. Help us patiently wait for the word of liberation, that our hurts may indeed be healed and our work for others hallowed. Help us to do so after the example of Jesus our Lord, he who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. 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 That prayer just seems so much more powerful after we had the conversation. I'm sure it's yeah. going to keep feeling more so the more <laughs> engaged with. They tend to do that, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Call that the Holy Spirit. Call it now. Call that the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what's happening next fortnight, Emily? Next fortnight? I think we're going to be three weeks again because I'm oh, going to be Oh, three weeks again. You're right. In. We did reschedule I'm that. going yes. to be on a kid's camp in two weeks' time, so I will- be no place to record a podcast. <laughs> I'll probably have no voice and be trying to put children to bed. Um, <laughs> but that is beside the point. So we'll be back in three weeks for Chapter 3 of Gondwana Theology. Um, uh, the Unfinished Business of Reconciliation. So um, join us here on Discord. Um 
yeah, read along at home. We'd love to see your questions. Uh, but as always, if you're not able to join us live, uh, find us wherever you get your podcasts. And also, super cool, because now we're like at the end of June. We have officially launched Safe Water September for 2023. So this is 10 years of the challenge. Um, and we've got some awesome things coming your way. So as part of our community we'd love to see you get on board and you know one month only water and we can change lives together sign up now at safewatersepember.org.au <laughs> all the links are in the show notes as always. as always yeah and we'll catch you next time Thanks for listening to Reading Mission, a podcast by Embody. If you enjoyed this conversation, please rate and review us so more people can find us. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Every episode of Reading Mission is recorded live in our Discord server. So if you want to join in the live discussion and connect with other people exploring mission, justice and social change together, head to embody.org.au slash discord to join in. Embody is a national community of young people passionate about mission locally, nationally and globally. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at EmbodyAU and visit our website at embody.org.au. All the links are in the show notes. Embody is part of the Global Mission Partners family. We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands and waters of Australia and pay respects to elders past and present. We recognise their continuing connections to land, water and culture. Music in the show is by Josh Wood. We'll catch you next time and thanks for listening to Reading Mission.